Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Today we will be in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, which is located on page 582 in the Blue Bibles. If you do not have a Bible at home, feel free to take one of those Bibles in front of you as a gift from Northridge. Once again, that's Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Thus says God's word. Let's pray together for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that it is, God, just a a gift from you that helps us to understand the full revelation of who you are, God. And we thank you that everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness is found in the, in the, the chapters, the books of your written word. God, we thank you that you have given it to us. And Lord, we also come and, and we confess at the end of one year and the, on the eve of another, we confess that we have been by and large negligent of your word, that we have not uh, looked to your word for guidance or instruction nearly as much as we should have. We have not, when we've found ourselves in the middle of different circumstances that we're trying, Lord, we did not trust in the sufficiency of the power of your word. And so, Lord, we come to you with that kind of heart, confessing these things, asking that you would reignite in us a love for your word. And God, let this be, let 2024 be the year where we are again immersed and baptized in your word, the love for your word, the, the trust in your word, the, the strength that comes from your word. And we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would just help us to hear as mature believers. Help me to preach this word as a mature believer, God, and, and not to be careless or casual about the things that you've said. So, Lord, I thank you for this. I ask you to bless this time with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, well, here we are. This is the end of the year, 2023, right, as I said in my prayer, on the eve of 2024. And we want to make sure that we are ending well and beginning well. And so this tonight, we've mentioned this for a couple of weeks, we're going to meet here at the church um, at four, at, I'm sorry, 6.30, I almost said 4.30, it's 6.30, and we're just going to be here for about an hour, and we want to do what Christians should do, and we want to thank God. Is What we'll do is we'll kind of expand on what Pastor David did in the middle of the service, the worship service this morning, and we will spend time giving thanks for all the goodness that God has uh, has done for us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a, as a state, a country. Um, we, we'll thank him for all that goodness tonight, and then 
we'll also look to him and ask him to be with us in the coming year. And so um, this is not a, uh, a meaningless thing. In the Old Testament language, this would be a solemn assembly. And so I'm asking you to, to at all at all costs, to other things you may have had planned, I'm asking you to join us for one hour. As Jesus said, could you not tarry? One hour. So uh, we're asking for one hour of your time tonight at 6.30. We'll have a little bit of worship and we'll, we'll spend the majority of that time praying. There won't be any sermons or messages. It'll just be, it'll just be a time for us to pray together. And then following that, I know you, most, many of you know this. For anybody that's interested at my house, um, at 8.30, we're just going to get together and have a good time as a family. Um, join, uh, ringing in the new year. Um, we're going to do something that was a tradition when I was a kid uh, with the churches that I grew up in. At midnight, we're going to have breakfast together. We're going to have pancakes and eggs and bacon, so we'd love to have you join us for that. Um, I realize I don't think we've been putting our address in the bulletin, so if you're wanting to come to that, you don't need any other invitation than the one I'm giving you now. Our address is 3711 40th Street, so write that down if you want to come and join us tonight, and we hope that includes all of you, that you'll come and, and do that with us. So for the last sermon of 2023, I want to prepare us for 2024 as, 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 as you may be noticing a theme of that through our service today and, and, and uh, what we're doing tonight and then in this message here. And the way I want to do it, I want to pause and take a look at this mild chastisement uh, from the book of Hebrews, from the writer of Hebrews. Um, if you know anything about the the book of Hebrews, uh, this uh, the reason I use the word mild chastisement is because the strongest warnings that we find in the New Testament, outside of the words of say Jesus, are found in the book of Hebrews. The the urgency to believe and the urgency urgency to embrace the gospel messages being presented is often backed up by a warning. In fact, in Hebrews chapter ten, um, one of the warnings is summed up like this: It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, when you consider all those warnings that you find in the book of Hebrews, this one at the tail end of chapter five. Pretty minor, pretty, pretty, pretty mild by comparison. But I want to use this mild chastisement as a springboard for us to consider individually our spiritual progress. And that's going to require you to ask and answer hard questions of yourself. It's not a, a time for me to like make sweeping accusations or or assumptions or, or, you know, question motives. It's just something for us to take some time, which is a great thing to do at the end of a year and reflect. And so we're going to consider our spiritual progress in regards specifically to our connection to our engagement with scripture. And we're going to follow in the coming area, in the coming weeks throughout the month of January by considering our prayer life, our worship, our outreach, our personal holiness, things of that nature. Now, what we have found is that many of us, uh, this is, and I'll use this terminology a lot in this message, it's kind of an epidemic thing in the United States, in Western Christianity, that many of us expect very little of ourselves when it comes to our spiritual growth. Most of us tend to, and again, this may not apply to you, but it, it certainly applies all over our country that 
that most of us have the tendency to outsource our spiritual development to professionals, to pastors, to teachers. And we don't seem to look at the need for us to grow spiritually as something that we should take very, very seriously and take responsibility for. And so we expect little of ourselves, but what better time to ponder our spiritual health and how to move forward in our spiritual health than at the beginning of the new year? Now, I'm sure that most of you have heard this saying, so I'll put it in the form of a question. When is the best time to plant a tree? Somebody tell me. When's it? No, not right now. When's the best time to plant a tree? 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that's the best time to plant a tree. The second best time is today. Today is the best, uh, the second best time to plant a tree. So what I'm urging you is let's not wait any longer to determine to become the Christians that we long to be. Instead of admiring the faith and the passion and the tenacity of another Christian, say, what would it take for me to become that Christian? What would it take for us to become the Christians that we know we should become? And again, this isn't a a, a beat up, you know, your brothers and sisters in the Lord thing, because there's not anyone here, including the one that's speaking to you, that is the Christian they want to be. be. Why? Because we're all being sanctified. We're all looking forward to the day we sang about today, the day we talked about in the Apostles' Creed, when all things are made new. But what I'm trying to avoid, in our congregation at least, that we not be satisfied with what I call the lowest common denominator of what is acceptable for Christian living. Let's not settle for what the internet and the Christian bestsellers say is in vogue for believers. But what are the heights that the scripture itself calls us as believers to ascend to. Hebrews 1, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 6 1, in the very next chapter, tells us to go on to perfection in the King James. In the ESV, it says go on to maturity. We're, we're sometimes very content to, when, when someone brings up a verse like that, let us go on to perfection, and we say, well, nobody's perfect. And we're content to do that. But that when we do that, what we're doing is we're, we're giving ourselves an excuse to strive for absolutely nothing. But remember that the words of Christ himself, Matthew 5.48, do you remember? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, while it's true, I'm not teaching a new doctrine, while it's true that no one in this life is going to attain perfection, But just because that's true, we mustn't be like the wicked servant in Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, verse 24 specifically, who buried the talent that he had been given in the sand, made no attempt to do anything with it out of fear, fear of his master's hard nature or fear of failure. What I'm pleading with you this morning, pleading with myself this morning, is this, do something Look at your life, assess your life, look at your the, the way your faith is being lived out and say, what would it take to draw closer to the flame? So, again, i got to say this is a reformed, unashamedly reformed church, so it's very important I say this next thing. This is not about working for your salvation. 
We're not saying that that Christians who read their Bible more um, get into heaven faster or anything like that. But this is what we're trying to plead with you. Because, not so that you will be saved, but because you are now saved, work to be pleasing to the one who has saved you. Amen? It's not about earning merit with God. The scriptures could not be more clear. That is impossible. We cannot, in our working, earn merit with God. But it's about demonstrating gratitude by pursuing the knowledge of God and that all He has made available to you through the gospel. Now, and this is the, the things I'm saying to you now are a similar sentiment that's expressed by the writer of Hebrews in our text this morning. He's begun to come to these Jewish believers and teach the new covenant gospel. He's he's unfolding it for them. This is the same new covenant gospel that had lain concealed for centuries in shadow and mystery in the Old Testament revelation. And he warns them because of their tradition, their ritual, their ceremony. He warns them against rejecting that gospel in order that they may cling to those shadowy things, their shadowy understanding of Scripture. Instead of seeing the depth and the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament truths in Christ and not in their rituals and their traditions and their ceremonies, he's saying, look to Christ. And he's warning them. He says, this is not optional. This is what all that Old Testament stuff was about. Look to Christ. And considering that all that God has said to them over the ages since he called Abraham, which we talked about for a couple of weeks there, he now rebukes them. He he literally gives us, as I said, a mild chastisement, a rebuke. And And he says to them in verse 12, the first part of verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now let's break down exactly what he is saying. Look at that phrase, by this time. His point is that there has been ample time for them to have discovered the meaning of the messages delivered to them in Old Testament revelation. But they have fallen, like all of humanity, woefully short of the mark of maturity that they should have attained. And he diagnoses them as having stunted growth and a lack of healthy development. It's a universal truth of the biological world that healthy things grow. They become larger and they become stronger. And when they don't, it's a clear indication that something is wrong and something needs to be addressed because there's no growth. How many of you on YouTube have stumbled on uh, uh, the the channel that uh, Nick Smith's family runs? Does anybody know who Nick Smith is? Nick Smith is a 31-year-old man who lives... In Jefferson, Georgia. Now, though he's 31 years old, Nick is only 35 inches high. He still wears size 3T clothes. He suffers from an extremely rare form of dwarfism that keeps this man, this 31-year-old man, in the body of a little child. And Nick's mind is also affected by his condition. He has the intellect of a four, maybe five-year-old. 
And, and what my point in using Nick as an illustration is that no one would meet Nick, ask him, hey, how old are you, Nick? And he learn how old he is and think for even a second that everything is okay. They call him the boy who never grew up. And I'm afraid that the boy who never grew up is a sad analogy for many of us in the church. Now, make no mistake, Nick is very loved by his family. And he has incredible worth in the fact that he's a human created in the image of God. But keep in mind that his family has spent the last 31 years, his parents who probably thought that their child raising years would be long over, they still have to care for him though he, as though he's just a little child. This is what the type of thing that the writer is pointing out when he says, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. The writer's saying that by this time, the Hebrews' spiritual pituitary gland should have kicked in. But they haven't. And those appointed to bring the truth of God to all the nations of the world must instead be taught the same basic principles of God's revelation demand all over again. Their inability to eloquently communicate these gospel declarations to other peoples is ample evidence of their immaturity and their infantile faith. And notice how the author says they need to be taught again. What do we learn by that? With the use of that word again? Well, these are not things that the Hebrews haven't heard before. But they are things that they have not considered deeply. They haven't wrestled with the implications of these things. They certainly haven't personally applied their theology or learned how to understand what the law and the prophets were actually pointing to. So he tells them you need milk. Not solid food. Here's the tip of his painful diagnosis. Milk, as I'm sure most of you know, is for babies. That doesn't mean you can't put milk on your cereal or have a glass of milk. But milk primarily is for babies. It's not for fully grown adults with healthy appetites. The writer is saying that this, this church of the Hebrews, are they're spiritual babies. They need feeding. They need comforting. They need diapering. They're children too needy for themselves to be able to be useful to anyone else in the body. My grandson's here today. Well, actually two of my grandsons are here today. One's in the service right now. I love him. I have never asked him at this point in his life to help me do yard work. I've never asked him to, you know, help me, you know, vacuum the floor. Why? He's, 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 no offense, Beowulf, but he's useless in that regard. He won't always be unless something's really wrong. But right now he's useless in that regard. And this is what he's saying to the, to the Hebrews. The writer longs for his audience to be able to come to the table and enjoy the richest fare possible through the gospel. But they're unable to digest it. They still need the truth to be presented to them in the most basic and bland way. They're unable to appreciate the fullest range of flavors and textures. Such variety would absolutely wreck their systems since they don't have the spiritual teeth and they don't have the spiritual stomach to process this truth. The mysteries of God 
given to them with no preparatory work, no maturity, no developing, would produce sickness in them, not health. Have you ever met anybody like that? There's a, there's a great revelation. There's something maybe you've read and you've discovered and you try to share the truth and it doesn't, the, the other person doesn't embrace it because they can't. They just reject it. It makes them sick. See, the Hebrews need teeth that can bite deeply into the Word of God and chew, 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 breaking it down, extracting its nutrients. But since they've never developed teeth, the mysteries of God would instead just choke them. They need a stomach that can hold on to the Word long enough to gain the maximum benefit and nourish the inner man from the inside out. And similarly, Again, many professing believers today can be heard saying, we, Ginger and I hear it all the time, ah, the scriptures, I try to read the Bible, but the scriptures are just too tedious, too tiresome, and, and they're too difficult to comprehend. Uh, they'll say they have no spare time to hear what the scriptures have to say, though their days are filled with all kinds of you know, material pursuits and leisure pursuits. But when we say those things, are are we not just confessing in a roundabout way that we're infants who've never matured to the point of being able to eat from the bounty of God's glorious table? We still need to be bottle-fed, consuming the word in the most basic form, be it worship services that appeal to our cultural preferences or craving for entertainment or easily digested Christian novels, or movies, or the chosen that take liberties with the text. We have no teeth to bite into the meatier portions of God's Word. We have no stomach to be able to meditate upon it, letting it nourish us, letting it instruct us, letting it guide us in a meaningful and lasting way. And the Bible isn't insisting, before you jump to a conclusion, that nourishment that comes from milk is always a bad thing. Do you remember what First Peter says, First Peter 2.2? 2, it says, like newborn babies, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, let's notice a few things about this verse. What is it? Do we still have it up there? Keep that up there for a second. What do we notice about this verse? There is such a thing as pure spiritual milk, but who is it designated for? Infants, newborn babies, right? And what is, though that's a perfectly good use for spiritual milk to nourish spiritual infants, what is the end goal of of nourishment from spiritual milk? What's it tell us? To grow up. You can't be in Christ for 30 years, still sucking on your bottle and saying, oh, I just crave pure spiritual milk. No. You are to grow up in salvation. Babies, baby Christians are to long for the nourishment that milk provides. Is what Peter's saying. But it's meant to strengthen them so that they can proceed to a more mature diet so that they may grow up into Salvation. Now think about that phrase, grow up into salvation. Now, 
my grandson, who's not in the room right now, Nehemiah, the, my, my newest grandson, only needs at this point in his life his mother's milk to survive and grow. But in about six months, if that's all he's consuming, none of us are going to think that's normal or healthy. He'll need to add solid foods in order to develop and develop properly. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. Perhaps this passage is telling us that alleged Christians, listen carefully, this is the hardest point of my message, but I'd be, I'd, I would be remiss if I didn't say it. Perhaps this passage is telling us that alleged Christians who never grow up have never truly experienced Christ's saving grace. Because they never took of the milk so that they may grow up into what? Into salvation. Everybody grab your Bibles. Let's do this. Everybody open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I don't have the uh, page number, so I apologize for that. What I want to do, they're back-to-back in the text, but I want to read you two very familiar passages from Matthew chapter 7. And I, I want to venture a guess that most of you have heard messages on the first paragraph, and, and most of you have heard messages on the second paragraph, but I doubt that many of us have ever heard messages where the first paragraph was connected to the second paragraph. So look at this, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now watch. Go to the next paragraph. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now what's the rock? The words of Christ, the one who hears them and does them. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, let's go back. What did we just read? Clearly, the people who prophesied the people who cast out demons, the people who did mighty works were confident that they were truly spiritual. They expected to be welcomed into Christ's presence, didn't they? And in the last paragraph, those whose spiritual houses were devastated by severe storms were those who neglected Christ's words. There's a deceived people, and then we find out the nature of their deception. And shouldn't we take these words, all of them, as a warning for ourselves? Verse 13 of our text. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. This idea, as I said earlier, of living on milk is epidemic of American Christianity 
Many church people are blissfully unaware of how chronically malnourished they are. They're trying to survive on the bare minimum required to sustain spiritual life. But can those who are so barely saved consider themselves saved at all? That's the point of the Matthew text. The truly Christian life is discovered not by emotions, not how you feel. It's not discovered by your verbal affirmations, but by the evidence of progressive sanctification, which comes through faith, which only comes through the mechanism of the word of God. That's how we know. It's when our tastes and our desires, our pursuits and our passions are radically transformed, both publicly and privately, that we can confidently assume ourselves or others to be saved. Going back to Matthew 7, verse 16 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. John Calvin said, No one ought to be reckoned among the disciples of Christ unless we perceive the glory of God impressed upon him as with a seal by the likeness of Christ. The way we have evidence of salvation is when we begin to bear and show evidence of the image of Christ in our lives. The writer says that spiritual maturity is determined by one's relationship to the word of God. This is what ties it all together in a bow. He calls it the word of righteousness, the gospel. For the immature, he says that they are unskilled. They don't handle the word of God properly. They don't know how to handle it properly. They don't truly understand either its basic meaning or its deepest ramifications. They don't understand how or why they were saved or what they were saved from. And having gotten only enough gospel to assuage their burning consciousness, they had a a preacher tell them, if you raise your hand and walk this aisle and pray this prayer, you'll be saved. And, And so that was enough. That's all they needed. They've stopped short of ever attempting to explore, as Paul calls it in Romans, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. But doesn't scripture itself command us to do much, much more than that? This is what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best. Do your best. Do your best. If I look back on 2023, can I honestly say that I did my best? Maybe Thursday, a couple of Tuesdays, Sunday, of course, I did my best. But Paul says to Timothy, giving guidance to this pastor, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And how do you define a worker who has no need to be ashamed? You're rightly handling the word of truth, the word of righteousness. The gospel, the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. The writer says that such people are unskilled because spiritually they're just mere infants. And there's a reason we don't give milk-consuming infants driver's licenses. There's a reason that we don't hire toddlers to operate heavy equipment. Those tasks and many others require physical, mental, emotional maturity to be done properly. And the word of God 
in its fullness. When, when you get a hold of this, the Word of God is a powerful thing. The Bible tells us that by the Word of God, the, all the world, the entire cosmos was created. Romans 1 says that the Word of God contains all of God's power to save His people. Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is not a child's plaything. And yet, even a child with a heart towards God, who is being renewed by the Holy Spirit, can understand it. And because of its inherent power, because of the power that is released in the Word of God, there is nothing more dangerous than the Bible in an undisciplined, untrained, immature mouth. Nothing is more dangerous than that. Immature preachers produce immature hearers with itching ears, while mature preachers and mature hearing on the part of his audience produces devoted disciples and, as the writer of Hebrews says, teachers, those who can teach others. Proverbs 28.18 sums this up so beautifully. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. People get, you know, a verse out of context and they just start hacking at other people with the sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The last verse of our text, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to, dis- to distinguish rather good from evil. Notice how the writer defines maturity for us. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He uses the term trained. New skills in order to make 2023 different in relation to the word of God in your life than 20, uh, or I'm sorry, 2024 different than 2023. New skills have to be acquired. Discipline has to be pursued and embraced. We must come off this American cruise control and become intentional about the word of God. He goes on to say that it requires constant practice. Once the skill is attained, it has to be repeated so it doesn't become forgotten and so that we become less proficient through the disuse of the skill. Uh, y'all will forgive me, I'm a 52-year-old man, so what other kind of illustration am I going to give of this? But how many of you know who Neil Peart is? Now raise your hand if you know. Okay, I got, I got, I got a guy my age out there, and then we got Cameron. So that's thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Neil Pert is the drummer for the rock band Rush, and he's considered to be one of the most technically proficient, greatest drummers of all time. And and he attributed his abilities to the fact that until the day he died, you can look this up. He continued. Neil Pert, the greatest drummer of all time, continued to take lessons from those he thought were better drummers than he was. Continued. Went to drum lessons every single week. And that is what constant practice looks like. It's not like, well, now I've read through the Bible in a year, so I can tell everybody what it means. No! It's constant practice. It's constant wrestling. It's discovering new things when you read it and wrestling through those things. If Neil Peart did something 
he did, did that, that constant practice for something as eternally insignificant as playing in a rock band, how much more attention should we give to constant training and practice in handling the Word of God? Now, childhood skills, maybe when you were growing up, you're great at sports. Maybe you were a great skateboarder, you know, things like that. They often deteriorate as we get older and, let's face it, fatter. But spiritual skills also deteriorate through disuse when we become spiritually old and fat. Look at Deuteronomy 32.15. I think we have it up on the screen. This is God's testimony of his people Israel. But Jeshurun, that's another name for Israel. Jeshurun, Israel, grew fat and kicked You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. See, the goal of a healthy spiritual diet, of spiritual disciplines that lead to maturity, is that we may be able to distinguish good from evil, to know God and not forget his benefits, to embrace life that is truly life, to reject that which is empty and destructive, and to grow into the image of our Savior. Now... I'm done, but I want to give you a few quick, really quick practical applications. If you're writing notes, write these down, because I really hope that this is not a message that you forget by the end of lunch. I hope that you'll embrace this so that, so that 2024 looks different for you in relation to the Word of God. No matter where, no matter how good 2023 or how bad 2023 was, let's all move on. So first, let me encourage you in this way. Read your Bible daily. I did not say read, you know, 50 pages, 10 chapters, just read your Bible daily. If this isn't a habit you've established, let me just suggest that you start with no more than a chapter a day. You can find hundreds of good reading plans online, or we can suggest one for you. Pastor David, Pastor Gabriel, or I can suggest one for you. But stretch yourself. Stay with a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible until you finish and then move on to another one. Just make it a more consistent habit, whatever it takes. Open the Bible every single day. I want to also suggest, we've had a few people that did this year, and it was it was a dramatic and beautiful thing. Memorize sections of Scripture. There's great apps to help with this as well. You can just search it on, on your app store, Google Play, whatever. It can be one verse. It can be a few verses. It can be a whole chapter. But stay at it. Stay at it every day until you have, have mastered it. And then make sure that you have a method to review the verses that you've already mastered. You will, I promise you, this is a 100% money-back guarantee, you will never regret hiding the Word of God in your heart for both present and future use. You never will. Thirdly, and this is where the rubber really meets the road, even if you're memorizing Scripture, meditate on Scripture. How do you do that? Well, take notes of Scriptures that you don't understand and discuss them with someone you trust that can help you understand them better. 
Use the catechisms and the confessions. Let me tell you something really exciting we're going to do. We're going to start beginning next week. We're done with the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to start a catechism called the Tune Your Heart Catechism. And it's, it's designed for um, for in, any age, for young children who are being in our services more and more often. And we're gonna, we're gonna include them in the reading of catechisms. And, um, you can, we're gonna start printing them in the bulletin. You can take them home and meditate on what that catechism teaches throughout the week. Look up the proof texts of those catechisms. We'll print those for you too. But think more deeply. Uh, so, you know, but find ways to meditate. Your own journaling, your own, you know, don't, some people are so terrified to write in their Bibles. No, highlight the heck out of that thing and go back and look at what you read in days past that, that made an impact on you. And then the last thing I want to encourage you to do is the best way to gain a fuller comprehension of Scripture is in community. Pay attention and take notes during the sermon so that you can go back and think about it. Discuss it with your family and your friends when when it's over. Every one of you dads, listen to me, dads, I'm speaking specifically should you, uh, to you, should make a habit of going home after these messages and discussing them with your children. Some of them are very young. They may not understand some of the things that myself, Pastor David, Pastor Gabriel are talking about. That's your job. Help them to understand it. And if you if it's it's beyond your reach, say, I don't know what that means, son, daughter. I'll go I'll go give Pastor Mark or Pastor Gabriel, Pastor David a call, and we'll talk about that. But but make a habit of doing this in community. Another great way is to become a part, and we offer many, become a part of a smaller group. This Saturday, we're resuming our men's Bible study, 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. We only do it twice a month, and I'm expecting to see all of you guys there. We're going to provide breakfast for you. It's going to be a great time, but we're going to be learning the Word of God together. It's a great time. We're starting Wednesday nights back this week. I hope you'll all make it. It's going to be a great time to to, uh, focus and meditate on, chew on the Word of God together. We have women's groups on Wednesday morning. We have other groups. We have a a group of men that meets at my house on Thursday nights. Any of those you can do and and others as well. (laughs) But the point is that we are encouraging you not because we don't get extra points in heaven as pastors if you read your Bible more this year. But your life will be dramatically changed. Of all the things that you will look back on your life at your last hour and regret, this is not one of them. You will never regret having a greater engagement with God's eternal word on your deathbed. You never will. I promise you that. It will not be wasted time. So I encourage you, do the work, be a believer, and you will never know what you need to believe until you open that book and find out. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminders from your word about the value and the strength and the power of your word. God, I pray that you would do the work that I can't do and that you would produce both conviction and commitment in us all, God, to take this year and to seek out your word and to be transformed by it in the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, what a what a great blessing um, to come every week to the table of the Lord, um, and what I want you to consider is as we as we come and we think about Jesus paying it all, all to Him I owe. Um, what a what a, a a privilege it is that He's given us His Word that we can come and and not only. 
you know, hear these songs, hear these messages at church, but we can know him intimately through the revelation of his word. And so I just want you to consider that and just as a, as a factor in this, that Jesus gave us this, uh, this, this covenant renewal service. He gave us these elements. He gave us his word, all of the things that he has given us and, and, and let us walk in true conviction, true commitment that we, that we in love, not out of obligation or, or some merit earning thing, but out of love, we just begin to give back and give back to him our devotion, our love, our, our attention to his word. So, uh, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, we're going to ask you to just remain in your chair. We're not trying to withhold something from you, but this only has meaning for those who have placed their trust savingly in Christ Jesus. And, um, and, but we want you to know that we are praying for you. We want you to come to that decision and we would love to help you with that. If you need more information, you can see Pastor David, Pastor Gabriel, myself. We'd love to share with you how that works, how the gospel is, and how you can you can um, come to, to know Christ personally. But for the rest of you, come and receive these elements and we will uh, we'll, uh, take them together in just a moment. The Apostle Paul writes in the scripture, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Now let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this sacrifice. Thank you for the word that declares it to us. May we find all of our hope in what you have written for our salvation. You said that the words that you have spoken, their spirit and their life. And God, we pray that through your word, you would infuse us with your spirit. Through your word, you would give us real life, not the life that is empty that we are so often found pursuing, but life that is real. And we thank you for this, God. We thank you for this inexpressible gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to read uh, the next few verses of the book of Hebrews to you. Where the writer says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.